Welcome to episode 7 of the Godfather Podcast. Join us today as we discuss money and giving, why and how we are called to give, and the spiritual warfare underlying the entire conversation of money and giving in the church. We also discuss the origins of giving and how it's a way to demonstrate who we serve. The Godfather Podcast is brought to you by the Sanctuary of Philadelphia in Philadelphia, Mississippi. You can find us online at thegodfilter.com, at facebook.com forward slash thegodfilter, or you can email us directly at admin at thegodfilter.com. Welcome to the Godfilter Podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope today finds you well. We are fixing to have a good time. And I hope you're going to hang in here with us for this good time. I hope, I hope, gentlemen, that the title of today's episode did not turn people away. And uh, that will will remain to be seen. So before I greet my brothers in front of me, uh, let me first welcome you and say thanks for tuning in. And if you're a first-time listener, please cut it off. Go find episode one and listen to episode one first. Again, you do not have to listen to the episodes in order, but you do have to go listen to episode one to understand uh, the direction and what we're talking about and where we're going. It'll help you uh, see into the spirit world a little greater. So cut it off if you're a first-time listener. Go listen to episode one, and then you can hop back on it. Uh, so, amen. Thank God for that. My brothers, Brother Robert, how are you, my man, my man? Doing great. Glad to be here. Good. Good to see you again. Glad we could do it one more time. Brother Scott, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Are y'all as excited to cover this as I'm as excited to cover it? I am. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys are. Uh, but we're going to cover it. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to take the filter and we are going to go to scripture and we are going to talk about money. Now, I know that you guys just wait with eager anticipation uh, out there listening to us to get into this. And I'll just be honest with you. It's not one that I'm just jumping up and down to cover let us groan collectively yes but it does have to be covered it needs to be covered and it needs to be covered from a biblical and a spiritual standpoint and i understand but even before we get into it let's just lay some groundwork and talk about it let's just relax and talk about it a little bit it's a touchy thing money's touchy it is Talking about money in the spiritual realm, in the church realm, is a very touchy subject. But now have we ever stopped to consider, because we have had to take many different subjects that we thought we knew about, and stop and consider the, the unseen world in all of it, and why it was done the way that it was done in Scripture. And remember, and you put the filter on scripture. It's not the words, it's how you see it. One of the main things we tell people is you're, what is this fighting? When you read scripture, not just what is the instruction to us, but what is it 
What is it combating in both the fleshly realm and the spiritual realm? So it's touchy. It's a touchy thing. There are two, as a pastor, there are two things in churches that are tough to deal with. That is money and music. Those are the two things that's going to be hard to deal with. If you're going to have your biggest problems in churches as a pastor, you're going to have problems in money and in music. I like to refer to them as the M&Ms. <laughs> and there's some nuts in all of them. It doesn't matter. You can fight over music styles. You can fight over money. If churches are going to fight, it's going to come back at some point to music and money. Well, there's bail in both accounts. But have we ever stopped to consider why money is such a touchy subject within the church, within the Christian community? Now, as you two gentlemen know, we'll revisit that question in a moment. Uh, and those that don't attend the sanctuary are going to have to take your word for it, not mine. This is a subject that I very, very, very rarely talk about in the pulpit. That's true. I don't really have any memory of any explicit services about money. So No, I take the offering up and I let it be what it is. And I had an agreement with... Uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords years ago that I'm called to preach and I'm not going to worry about money. And so for me to get up and always talk about money, first of all, it's a bad look. Some of, some of that, first of all, some of that is just the nature of churches. Take you that, take you right back to whichever episode it was where we talked about systems and, and denominations and all of that and, People are trained to be touchy about money in church. They're not trained to be touchy about money anywhere else, just in the church. So I never bring it up. I just don't bring it up. If I do, I'll dedicate one service a year on it, if that. And I haven't even done that in a couple of years because I understand that it's touchy. And I don't mind catching some arrows or having arrows flung at me, but I have no desire to have arrows flung at me in this arena. So I left that in the hands of God, but it is in scripture. But why is it so touchy in churches? Now let's, let's look at it through different eyes. Why is money such, uh, why do people get so tight? They can talk about it in every other arena. But man, you bring it up in churches and people People lose their mind. They will draw up, shrivel up, clam up. Why do y'all think that is? Trust? I don't know if it's trust. I'm just talking about from the spiritual side. Uh, I think people see it as a an entryway, an entryway of evil, a way for the uh, the gods. You know, it's kind of hard to take ourselves out of it, right? But that way we look at it now, it's a way for the gods to kind of get a hold of somebody within the church, some way influential or the pastor or whoever's involved in that process well not just that see because that, that that automatically is going to run back to the leadership but why mm -hmm. is it so touchy among the pews 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, why is it so about low? period? Just the whole thing. The, the, the R aspect right, of yeah, it. Yeah, the whole thing. Just mm-hmm. the whole thing in, in its collective. Why? It should be something that's pretty it's in scripture. It should yeah. be something that's pretty easy, clear cut, just as worship. Tithing off you know, just as you know, yeah, just just as unity, just as fellowship and all the other things that the church really strives to do. And everybody's like, Yeah, that's good. And then this one comes up, same Bible, same instructions, same principles, and I go, like, why? There has to be something bigger going on in the spirit world to influence so much well, disunity or whatever. I don't even know the word. We want to, use. as humans, to uh, worship the created and what is create what is something that strangles us every day with its influence and is absolutely humanly created and has no godly influence. Money. Money. So, so and it's easy to allow it to control us and manipulate us. Well, we have to make we have to make some sense out of it because it's all in Scripture. I mean, it's all in the Old Testament. We'll get to some of the specifics in a little bit. And like two thirds, two thirds of the parables in the New Testament deal with money in some way, shape, or form—treasure, pearls, money. It was something that Jesus talked about. It was, you know, maybe what we should do. Flip tables for, for money, money changers. Money. Money. It involves money. Mm-hmm. I think what we should do, since everybody always wants to do things the Bible way, which I, I do want to do things the Bible way, I bet you, you reckon that some of the tide would turn if we took the offering up the way that Jesus did when he was in the temple that day. Where he announces what everybody gives. <laughs> Jesus stood at the offering plate and announced what people gave. And it but, was almost like he was, ooh, ooh, they gave a lot. Yeah. Ooh, look how much they gave. Ooh, look how look at that. And then the two ladies came and or the lady came and gave the two, two mites. mites. Yeah. And and he's and he's making a grand point. But again, what did that parable involve? What did the whip in the temple involve? Well, it, it money. involves heart issues, right? At mm-hmm. the end of the day, that and part that part of it does. It involves, involves heart issues because it, it Jesus could see their heart. Jesus knew what they were giving and that it was pure and genuine of heart. But at, well, let's go ahead and just get this out real quick. At the end of the day, it come down to who do you serve? Who, what? Who do you serve? And we we're going to we're going to talk about that because Jesus uses the, the because phrase, you can you can tithe and offer. And not be pure of heart and intention. Well, tithing and offering and giving. Let's just use the word giving here. Because we're going to flesh out the Old and New Testament and tithing in just a moment. Let's, let's, let's call it giving. Giving. Giving is very interesting because it is one of the, if not the only thing, that you do... And it is commanded that you do with a specific emotion. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a commandment and you do it. But giving was required that you not just give, but that you cheerfully do it. You happily do it. For God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. giver. That is the scripture. And so now there is a prerequisite on mm-hmm. it that you don't just do it. But you do it and enjoy doing it. Ugh. Denying the uh, sins of the heart. That's that's a substantial Greed, thing. Pride. And so a lot of people, 
A lot of people have no problems with the commandments of the Bible. When you get to this one, this one will gather more critics and they will try to find more loopholes in this subject in their own personal thought life than they will in anything else. And it was instructed to be done and then you have to happily do it. <laughs> the Bible made sure they don't want you to do it now, but I want you to be glad to do it. Mm -hmm. Be glad to do it. And there's where our servanthood to the Lord is really going to come into effect on this subject. Now, I know there's been abuses. I get it. Trust me. In, in the seat that I sat in as a pastor, you don't think I've heard and seen the abuses of pastors and using their pulpits for personal gain and shake people down and using gifts of the spirit and prophets and prophecies. And um, I, I think everybody would probably go to um, the prosperity doctrine. Yeah, I think that's where I was getting out a minute ago when I mentioned that yeah. people have apprehension about what's happening in the back rooms of the church after sure. they after they do give. And sure. there's so much information or so many, so many instances of that being manipulated into a negative way that people have this apprehension to give. Well, and, and I don't think that's it, by the way. There has, I get it, but there is a, there's been abuses I have seen. And some of it's ridiculous. Some of it, I mean, some of the guys, there's some guys on TV and big prominent memories that, or, or memory, uh, big ministries that they are absolutely walking the wrong way. We, we can see it. You can feel it. You know it. Uh, you hate to judge somebody that you've never met or talked to, but I think we all have enough discernment to know that there's, there's. Send me $10 for your some, blessing. Something. Yeah. Or, you know, $49 for some holy water or something and it'll bless you and everybody's going to be millionaires. And I get all that. And, for honest pastors that want to serve the kingdom, serve the people, um, serve the Lord properly, it really makes it hard on us when and you take, you know, dishonest people and lump all of us in with those people. That's the majority well, of the Christianity today, right? Yeah. Christianity as a whole is seen as hypocrites. I as I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some good men right here. Oh, yeah. Right here. In our town, there's some good pastors, good men, and, and as related to what we're talking about now, that are diligent, that want the best for the kingdom. They're not out trying to do anything. Uh, they're just trying to do the best that they can with what they have. To lump those men in with um, the foolishness that's out there, uh, it's got to be more of a, it's more of a personal problem than it is a ministry problem. Like your personal problem, not not them too. That that's completely unfair. We're already outnumbered four hundred and fifty to one. If you look at Mount Carmel, just because there's four hundred and fifty false prophets out there, doesn't mean there aren't there isn't one good prophet. Right. Well, we live in a society now. We just throw Elijah in there with the four hundred and fifty prophets yeah. and be done. They're all they're all corrupt. Exactly. That's no, what I, I mean. That's, that's right. the way that society tends to go to by default. Yeah. You know, but Christianity as a whole is seen as some corrupt construct now because of all the negative that surrounds it, and the general public and including the churches don't really see the positive 
a lot of times. Well, I'm going to defend my brothers here for a moment before we get into the nuts and bolts of this. I'm going to defend them because, uh, one, no, no God-called man in our day and time got into ministry with the grand ideas of becoming wealthy. No God-called one did. Right. Uh, nor did we take a vow of poverty to do so. I think there has to be balance there. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's frustrating about that is in the same churches that they pastor, if you know somebody in that church decides to start a business or whatever, and the business booms and they make a lot of money, they work hard, they live their life for the Lord and servanthood for the Lord, everybody will say, well, the pastor, no, or you know, they've been blessed. The Lord has blessed them. But if a pastor does the exact same thing, uh, all of a sudden he's he's corrupt or he's dirty. And I don't think it's fair at all to good men that uh, if the Lord if the Lord can bless everybody, why can't the Lord bless pastors and preachers? That does not work against the falsehood and the false pro- prosperity doctrine. And I do believe the Bible teaches prosperity, just not in the way that all the prophets and all the guys that are out just to get in pockets do. I don't, I don't believe that we're all going to be millionaires. But I do believe that God does want to bless us and that we will prosper. And that might be different from one family and one household to the next. I don't think it's fair to pastors that they can't enjoy a vacation every now and then or buy a nice vehicle every now and then and have some nice things every now and then when everybody else in their church is celebrated for working hard and God's blessing them. It's a war. It is. It is a spiritual war, and uh, so I'm going to have I'm going to have their back. I'm going to even have the back of something here that most people aren't going to really like, and that's cool too. Uh, but when you do get some of the big, huge ministries in North America, and these guys bringing in millions and millions of dollars, and they live in unbelievable mansions and, and on all this, I don't think most people know. Y'all may not even know this. Like I told you this other day on the phone, Scott, and you didn't know this. You know, these guys don't take salaries from their churches. Yeah, we talked about this. They, I didn't. I didn't know that. They don't. They write books and and they have other ventures that were hard. It's hard work. They do. They sell books and have book deals for multi million dollars and speaking engagements. And hey, that's on them. I'm, I'm not. But as far as the tithing and the offering that is taken up in the church, according to Scripture, those guys that pastor, they're not, they're not even taking salaries. I wish I could get there somehow. If I wrote a book, if I was to write a book and sell three million copies of it out of my own hard work in my home, I would love to be in a position to not only have the money, and I would take it, and I would tithe accordingly and give back, as, as Scripture says, and I would count that as a blessing to the Lord, but I would love not to take anything else from the sanctuary ever. I envy the position. So some of that stuff, some some of that stuff is not what people think it is. It's just a complaint. And it's levied against all churches, no matter what size, no matter what the income is, it's levied against all of them. And it is a whole spiritual battle. And so my question I ask now is, where I started, what is the influence? Why is this so touchy? Well, it's touchy because there's something going on in an unseen world, just like the rest of the stuff we've talked about, that makes people so weird 
when sitting and talking about this subject. It could also be that people don't see the positive of what those those people who are affluent from those type of things are. Like, it doesn't seem like those people usually serve the right thing, right? The truth is, we don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not defending them. No. I'm not. But I, I'm just trying to take myself out of this yeah. and try to think about what the outside would look at somebody like that as. And I could see where somebody would be like, you know, they have all those millions of dollars. Why, why is there nothing being born out of that church and born from that yeah. that individual outside of book deals or but those same people those same people that will rail and rant same people that have no issue of going to spend their money at sporting events to watch and celebrate athletes who make millions and millions of dollars now I know I can't be the only one that sees the issue with that that there's a there's a much deeper issue here than just church in a physical nature I think some of it, you know, I, I get what, what you're saying, and I think that's, you know, a, a, a real avenue. I also think uh, that uh, money is what pays the light bill, money is what uh, buys clothes, and money is what buys food. And if it's limited, uh, I think a faith issue comes up to where do I trust God in his word to yeah, give the money? To to provide what he said he would provide. Right. On the flip side of that, as a pastor, I have yet, I have never done it, gone down to the electrical company and told them that I am going to pay this month's bill on faith. Yeah. It is, it is yet to happen. Every church is dependent on a construct of a man created by a man. Now, here's my, here, here's my. Here's here, let me give you this line of thought, because this will go back to some of the same people that are so critical of um, the subject of money in relation to the church, especially here in the South where we live, in conservative country. I use a political example here, and man, they will spend the whole week on social media complaining about socialism and how much they hate socialism and. All the positions that they take. Now, I'm not getting on politics, but I'm, I'm on this subject. Anti-social. Rant, rant, rant. No socialism. And they'll complain about it all week long and then practice it on Sunday. <laughs> they'll come to a building that's got air conditioner and padded pews. Want their kids to enjoy their snacks and be fed their lessons. Spirit. Yep. They'll sit there and let somebody else pay for the air conditioner, pay for the padded pew or the chair. Let somebody else pay for vacation Bible school for their kids. Let somebody else pay for pay for their three-to-go plates at the potluck lunch. And then go right back complaining about socialism. And they left the church and let somebody else pay for something that they enjoyed. All right. Let's let's go. Let's move on. Happens every day. I'm just talking. I'm just saying there's a war going on in the spiritual world with this that if we're going to address everything else, we've got to address this because it's very prominent. It's a very prominent subject in the scripture. And let's be clear about giving. It is in scripture. Tithing and offering is in scripture. 
Giving is in Scripture, both Testaments. It doesn't matter how much somebody does or does not like that. It is in Scripture, and yes, your soul, your soul can be tied to how you view the instructions of Scripture when it comes to giving. Sins of the flesh. Sins when it of comes the heart. to being obedient. So it comes down to who do you indeed serve? And so to understand if it is in Scripture, then it's something that we must talk about, and it cannot be avoided. So now, let's talk about tithing and offering. And let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. Tithing and offering are separate things. Malachi separates them in his writings of being separate things. Tithing is one that was commanded a commandment of instruction given, given, given to Moses uh, in the law. And it is what, as a matter of fact, there was in tithing, there was a set amount, was a tenth. It's where we get it now. It's in Scripture. And churches and pastors didn't pluck this out of thin air. It is in Scripture. And then the offering is what you freely give. So those are two completely different dynamics and could be different amounts. And the offering could be less. It could be more. It's free will. It's what you decide to give. My daddy told, my daddy told an old story uh, in preaching. I grew up hearing him. Uh, he, a parent, a couple decided, their young son decided to try out a new church. And they went to church. And uh, when they took the offering up, the daddy took an old buffalo nickel and flipped it over in the offering plate. And on the way home after the service, uh, the husband asked the wife, how'd you like the service? She said, well, you know, it, it was a little too, a little too loud for me. Uh, the whole thing was just seemed a little unnecessary. She said, what'd you think, hon? And of course the husband he levied his complaints. It was too loud. The preacher preached too long. And the little boy, he's sitting in the back being quiet. The parents looked back at him and said, uh, son, what would you think? He said, well, I thought it was a pretty good show for a nickel. <laughs> and a lot of times in the offering side of this, you're going to receive back what it is that you put into it. Mm. What your heart desires. Because it is the free will sacrifice um, that you give. So let's let's be clear that the tithing and offering were separate. And I don't know. I know Robert's ready to go. I know when he's staring at that iPad, he is. He's ready. And I don't know what he has to say of where it fits. So I'm just going to stop here and say, you want to add anything I, here, Robert? I just want to read Malachi. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Just for, for context. Sure. Uh, Malachi 3, starting at uh, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and test me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Tithing and offering. 
All right, so let's cross a bridge now that I know is coming. It's going to come, and I actually, I understand it. Tithing's the Old Testament. You never find the word in the New Testament, nor do you find the instruction that's clear in the New Testament as you do in Malachi, which you just read. Um, and there is much debate, and there are people on both sides of it, that tithing was the Old Covenant, and um, we don't do that anymore in the New Testament with the New Covenant. Okay, I get it. I see it in Scripture, or I don't see it, rather, uh, according to how you want to look at it. And so how do we reconcile the two? Well, Paul says that we are to establish the law. For in the law is the knowledge of sin, Romans 3, and then we are to establish the law. But I understand that we don't live by the law, but the law is supposed to be established. So then Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So we can't just throw the Old Testament out. Now, if we're going to throw that out, let's throw out. If none of that matters anymore, which the filter clearly dis, um, just completely tears down that whole line of thought. Um, but just for the sake of the conversation, if we're going to do that, well, then don't preach Noah's Ark anymore. And, you know, don't preach David and Goliath and and the fiery furnace. Um, it's there. It's there for a reason. It's God's word. It was given, and Jesus did not come to destroy it. Paul didn't want them worshiping worshiping the law. He said it had to be established. So how do we make sense out of giving in the New Testament? How did they give in the New Testament? Well, after the church was established, the scripture says that they went sold land and materials and come laid it all at the feet of the apostles to deal with it properly in the church, how it needed to be dealt with. So perhaps I still teach tithing and offering. I don't believe that that is destroyed. I believe there was a continuation in the church of doing this. Was it recorded? And that is a personal, let me be clear now. I don't have any writings or anything. That is just, it's kind of like baptism. You don't find you don't really find baptism happenings in the epistles. Why? Well, because the church was built on it in Acts, and every church was indeed baptizing them. There was no reason to bring it up. The expectation was already there. The, the expectation was there. I feel the same way about tithing and offering, but again, it's a feeling. I still teach it. But if you're listening to this and you go to the sanctuary and you do not want to practice tithing, I think that's wonderful if you want to go sell some land and just bring that all to the church. <laughs> but bring all of it. Don't you say you're bringing it all and only bring part of it. That's right. Ananias and Sapphira, uh, the Holy Ghost killed him for lying. And that was, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek there. I'm kind of, you know, kind of joking around, kind of not. You see the principle there. Their heart wasn't pure and they weren't cheerful. Yeah. But you see the principle of giving, that it was substantial. But the, if your heart is in this and your heart is not corrupted, you're going to have the desire to give to the place that's feeding you. And the place that feeds you is your church. Yeah, in, in an amount that is biblically sustainable, a, a, biblically appropriate. Yeah, it's a real problem, and, it, and you're going to do it cheerfully. Go ahead, Robert. I was just going to say the the rich young uh, ruler who had told Jesus, "I have kept the laws from my youth; I have been perfect in my ways." And Jesus says, "Right on, go sell your stuff and give it to the church." And the and he mm -hmm. just holds his head down and yeah. walks off. Um, He's worshiping the law and not the spirit. Do we really believe that Jesus 
would have asked him to sell everything, you know, literally and become nothing. No, it was just Jesus yeah. dealing with his heart. That was Jesus asking you who you serve. Who do you serve? <laughs> what are you going to serve? Because he's saying, I, I st- I'm, I'm living by the law. But Jesus is, Jesus I can see worship his heart. the law. Jesus can see your heart, right? God knows your heart. Well, he, if, he knows that what you're doing is not genuine and real and what that it still has this underlying human desire and trait and flesh behind your intentions. It does. So like him, he's, he's worshiping the law. He's again, not worshiping the spirit. He's, uh, he's again, worshiping what he's an, told to do. Yet another parable dealing with money. The prodigal son dealing with money. Money, money was talked about constantly in Scripture, and it was talked about constantly in Scripture because who do you serve? You just brought it up again. Then we have Jesus using the word mammon, the serving of mammon. So he deals with this. Yes, he deals with this on a very specific level in many different places in Scripture, and. If you look at how much he deals with it, having a heart that does not give or a heart that hates giving can become an issue with your soul because your servanthood is not to the Lord. What do you say about that, Robert? In Matthew 6, 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But... If thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If there is light in the end darkness, how great is the darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, where's mammon go? To Baal. Baal. First uh, Kings eighteen twenty one. And Elijah came unto the people and said, How long? How long will you have two opinions? And if the Lord be your God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. So, you know, just a minute ago, we were talking about how can uh, we give, uh, but give and not have a a cheerful, Mm -hmm. cheerful heart. Uh, I'm going to tell you that if you give and you don't give with a cheerful heart, then you could have just as well not give because Mm -hmm. you can't serve two masters two masters you're doing it for the flesh you're doing it for for yourself at that point it's self-worship it's a worship of the law because you're saying oh i'm supposed to do this thing i'm supposed to do this the the bible says that so i'm just going to do it right and there's no there's no heart in that well all you're doing is worshiping the law well i think scott scott said something interesting a while ago about increase um mammon which does trace back to baal but Baal was the Lord of the heavens, the fertility God, but not sexually. Mm-hmm. Episode one, again. The Lord of increase. One of increase. And so I'm not going to increase in gain and pride. So I'm not going to get into the New Testament, Old Testament, tithing, law, and all that. I, I think at the end of the day, it's a foolish pride. I think I do. I do. I think it's a foolish argument because. Both testaments ultimately agree, regardless of words that are or are not there, that you are supposed to give cheerfully in a substantial, when I mean substantial, I don't mean like everything. I'm talking about, I mean, the Old Testament puts actually it in perspective. Uh, because we know now. Supposed, supposed to give. Both testaments are to fight the gods, fight the influence, 
and teach us to deny the gods by denying the flesh. Yes. And by denying the flesh, you're feeding the heart and, and denying the gods, the sins of the heart. What's been significant to me my entire life is that in Malachi, God said, test me in this and see what I will do. God didn't run around uh, saying that. He did not. Uh, and for the people listening, I challenge you to go and, and do a little research and, and see what you find on that. Money. Let uh, me t- let me tell you what is significantly substantial about tithing that plays exactly in what you just said. Because you just said it. God doesn't just run around saying stuff like that. Let me tell you what is something that's very significant about tithing. Tithing is one of only a handful of things in Scripture that is called holy unto the Lord. Because it's such a it, it's such a it. construct in our lives that's man-made that denying the flesh in that way is powerful. But he didn't and even I think call marriage. God knows that. He didn't even call marriage holy. His word does not call marriage holy. His word calls marriage honorable. And it's only a handful of things. If you go go search it in your Bible app, if you have a good Bible app, I use the King James Version, the phrase holy unto the Lord or holy to the Lord, those two, you will find that it is, it is not in there much. It's only a handful of things and that the tithing is holy unto the Lord. Well, you know what? That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because the angels that gather around his throne cry, holy, holy, holy. Not love, 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 by the way. They cry, holy, holy, holy. Tithing is one of a very few things in Scripture that is called holy. That's important. That, that means it's probably one of the most important things that we can do to deny our flesh, deny our, our sins. It our is, and it feeling. doesn't even matter if you're out there and you're already ready to cut it off, but you're just hanging in there just just. Just for whatever reason, it that. doesn't even. I hope it doesn't even matter if you agree or disagree with it, that, the position on it. We're giving you scripture right now for it, and that's the debate of this, that, or another. I'm giving you the scripture on it. Let me tell you something else about tithing. You do not pay your tithes. That's right. You pay McDonald's. You pay Walmart. Pay indicates a problem with the heart. Because if you if, if it's a if it's a burden, paying is a burden, right? No, I understand. <laughs> I also understand that that's just a phrase yeah, that we use. Still. But we have to make sure that we don't. Give. Yeah, you give. For it is more blessed to give to give than to receive. receive. And what the Bible sometimes, like? sometimes language is subconscious, but, though. But let's look, <laughs> let's look at the let's look at the let's look at it. yes, very subconscious. Let's look at the war in this with the filter. The Bible says that wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. There your heart is also. That is not symbolic. I don't care how you look at that scripture. You can look at it how you want. That scripture is saying, wherever your money is, is where your heart is. That's right. And so this was, and that's in the New Testament. It's like a casino. Oh, wherever your money (laughs) is, is where your heart is. And the heart's a big deal because remember, out of the abundance of the heart. Come the issues of life. The mouth speaks. So you're going to talk about. And so it was a big deal in Scripture. The whole thing was a big deal in Scripture. And we must have a proper handle on it. When talking about biblically, you got to be careful out there that you don't hate something that is in Scripture because that is a very dangerous place to live. 
Jeremiah 3.24, from our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our ancestors' labor, their flocks, their herds, their sons, their daughters. And mortify, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Right? You know, the, your, your lust for money, your greed. There's bail. Idolatry. Robert, when I grow up, I want to be as prepared as you. <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about the history of tithing. The history of it and of tithing and offering. Um, the first time that we find the word tithe in the off in uh, in the Bible period is dealing with Abraham. I think you found something before that. What 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 did you find? Read read what you found. So what I was looking at was just the the showing that it involved money, money, money at the very beginning of the Bible and money at the very end of the Bible. Just that it was uh you know. It was talked about from from beginning to end, uh, but you know Genesis twenty three just talks about where uh, Abraham buys the uh, the tomb at Machpelah for a sum of money. Sum of money. So there, okay. And we talked about man, this is popping my head, but this is probably two months ago we talked about this how they would bring their grain and their livestock into the temple for the priests to distribute it. To, to distribute well, that the that was, that, well, this is what's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because that slipped away while ago. And that was like I, run I think that was history, Diana's yeah. temple that they used to bring bring that into. Ooh, hold on, hold on to that for a moment. I I, I ended up somewhere else, but hold on to that. Yeah, don't, that's why I was getting that. Like, don't like, don't forget that because I want to get to that at the end. But okay. I'm glad you brought up the grain grain and the livestock because it's also an argument among people that well, when they tithe, they didn't tithe money. They tithe their grain, and that's why it's called the first fruits and the firstling of their flocks. And I'm not sure if those people that hold that position understand that. That was their currency, yeah, their wealth. That was, that was their wealth, and that's why they would bring it into the temple of their god, is so that the priests could distribute it. So to to bring our currency, I don't think they brought the everything. I think they just brought a percent right. or a certain but, amount. But either way, that, it was. But it they was, donated it to the church for yeah, the church to right. Do. But it wasn't. What I'm saying is, it wasn't like I they didn't have a monetary church, a coin at that time. Right. That that was their currency. This is our currency now. That's the same thing. So mm-hmm. to to gag at that gnat, uh, it's always seemed kind of foolish to me because that was their currency. They were asked to bring in their currency. It's for the same thing for, the same for survival. Thing. It's the same. I don't even know. I don't even guys. I don't even know how that one got started. To me, that's one of the most. That's one of the most ridiculous arguments I've seen people have on social media. Is we don't bring our money in because they did. They brought their livestock in. I'm like that. That's that's their money. Yeah. That's what that was their currency. That's how they traded. Well, you know, people are going to look for every out they can because people worship the created over the creator. I mean, I really thought we could have a handle on that. You said gag at a gnat. It, it just made me smirk. Gag at a gnat, swallow a camel. Swallow a camel. Easier for uh, a rich man. Rich man. <laughs> no, easy, easier for a, a camel to pass through the eye yeah. of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Yeah. Clearly, that is not talking about wealthy people. Wealthy people can go to heaven. That scripture is asking the question that we ask. Who do you serve? serve? Who do you serve? And there are wealthy people. 
There well, are, wealth there, changes people. There are wealthy people. I know pastors that have wealthy people in their church. There's a few wealthy people in the church that I pastor that are going to heaven mm-hmm. because they work hard for their money, but they do not serve their money. That's right. Not that I can see. And if they do, well, they're in danger. They're in danger of that scripture. So it all comes down to this personal relationship with the kingdom of heaven is who do you serve? So I'm glad you brought that up. But you went you went to the temple of the gods. I wasn't there yet, mm-hmm. but I did want to cover the bringing in of grain and the firstling of the flocks and all of that because that that's one of the most goofiest arguments that I've ever heard. That was just their currency. Well, there you go. I covered it. Now, if there is somebody, if there's somebody in the sanctuary that lives off the grid, that has no money, and they're growing their own food and their own livestock, and uh, they roll up with a little calf or some turnip greens or something. We will accept that at at the sanctuary. That that would be that first would be their tithing. Yeah, that would be. That would, so I'm that's down. Valid. I'm I'm down with it. And I'm not being funny either. I am absolutely down with that train of thought. If that's their currency, until then, currency is because is that money. that has monetary right. value at the end it of the does. day, right? It does. The church can slaughter that, sell the something, sell something, it, something, something could be done with it, but yeah. it's still a heart thing. So let's, let's just make sure we don't have that one hanging yeah. around out there. If you're involved in that conversation, please find another conversation to be involved in because I don't feel like that one's going to bear any fruit. I don't even think it makes sense. It's just me. I'm not being rude. But just I'm in just case somebody it missed there. it, what I was getting at a minute ago is that tithing it was also a thing that they did for the gods, and God took that and used it for him. You're still trying to go where I'm trying to go, and if you just give me a minute, I will turn you loose on that, my good brother. You're ahead of me. I'm done. I'm done. No, you can't be done. (laughs) You can't be done. You've got to do that again in a moment. So the history of tithing. So See, this is is why we don't know what we're doing. That's right. Well, we we don't want to structure it too much. I don't know what they think out there. I don't know. If we structure it too much, we're going to sound like robots in here, and we're going to lose. We would lose the value of the conversation. All three of us show up in this room. Adrian has notes. Robert always brings in a tablet full of passages, and I just I just show up because I live here. And I have very few notes today. Uh, I'm with them more like bullet points. They're not few. They're just bullet points just to make sure that we at least cover the subjects in their totality. So when Abraham, Abraham, the word tithe is used with Abraham when he's in his transactions with uh, Melchizedek. That's where it first pops up. That's where you first find the word tithing in scripture is where he pays a tithe, a tithe to Melchizedek. So if like everything else that we've run across in the filter, you'd think that obviously Abraham has been called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, the land of the Chaldees. What is the land of the Chaldees? Mesopotamia. Yep. And so you would think that he, that covenant's been established with Abraham and so that covenant, that, that tithing, that word tithe that you find in the scripture dealing with Abraham and Melchizedek, that there is the origination of tithes. And it is not. And we found that it is not. We found, just like baptism runs back to Mesopotamia, tithing also ran back to Mesopotamia which is why you, Scott, were able a while ago to jump ahead. No, I'm not being funny. I'm just saying to jump ahead and tie it back to Diana's temple. 
Because, I think I think it was yeah to to go to go back because they were tithing in the temples of their gods. We found that we found that they were tithing there. You can go find that. Just Google it. They were bringing tithe to the pagan temples, their temples. So when Abraham, when Abraham tithed Melchizedek, that was not some big great covenantal moment in the in the Bible. Just oh man, there it is. It's established. Abraham was just doing something that he had watched. Mm-hmm. being done his entire life because he was from Mesopotamia. In fact, if you want to put the filter on it, what did Abraham's father do in Mesopotamia? He had a shop where he made uh, <laughs> made, made graven images. Mm-hmm. He made graven images for the people and the temples of the gods in Mesopotamia. Abraham run around the shop as Jesus would run around the shop of Joseph Abraham run around the shop of his dad who made graven images and idols for the people and the gods. So when he'd done it, it was a natural, it was something that he had seen, that he had seen, it was a transaction that he had seen before. Just like baptism. Exact same concept. It's exactly right. They, if you can do it for your God, it why can't you do it, it for the It wasn't new to them. God. That's why I never could figure out how John the Baptist pulled it off. They had, they were familiar with baptism already, and now Abraham was here familiar with tithing already because it was already being practiced in, uh, in the temple to the gods. It was already there. So now it enters into, it is put into the law of Moses. Well, this is interesting. Why it was... And it is also the history, and most people know this, but if you don't, I'll flesh it out. It will take me a minute. Also shows why and how the church operates, all churches across denominational lines operates today, or at least should. So when the law is given, and I'm just going to give the high points of this, is given to Moses, um, and then there's an inheritance that and of course Moses builds the tabernacle and it is the Levites, the priesthood, that are to care for for the tabernacle and the temples of God in the Old Testament. The Levites. Cool thing about the Levites, I love the Levites because uh, as a whole they were dudes. I mean, when they when Moses came down from the mountain and they were worshiping the golden calf, Baal, money, or that mm-hmm. value again. Uh, and he said, who's on the Lord's side? Nobody said nothing except for the Levites. And the Levites raised their hand and said, hey, we're with you. We're with you, boss. And it was the Levites and Moses who killed 3,000 of them that day. So the inheritance is being passed out to the tribes of Israel. And everybody got an inheritance except for the Levites. God did not give them an inheritance. He did not. And so the reason he didn't give them, and how are they going to support themselves? Well, their support was hand in hand with the support of the temple or the tabernacle. So then the instruction came, I, I'm, I'm not giving the, the priesthood, the Levites, an inheritance. So now what I'm going to have to do, what I'm going to have you do is to bring a tenth, a tithe, into the tabernacle the temple and 
the 11 tribes, they would bring their 10th in, and that was going to support together both the temple, tabernacle, and the priesthood. And so the priesthood's inheritance was the tithing, and they had to take it, and they had to use it for themselves and the temple. There is the model of which most, most denominations still, still operate in. So when you get churches talking about, I'm going to starve the preacher out, and they, behind closed doors, start withholding giving because they don't like the preacher, but that's dangerous stuff biblically. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is big time, and I have heard it. I have heard it. I have also experienced it, and that's all I'll say about that. That that is dangerous stuff because that. What if they would have done that? Well, I mean that's. Will you that's rob God? Shall a man rob God? So I'm I'm not I'm not going to get into that. I am just giving the backdrop that tithing and offering was not unique to Abraham to the law of Moses. It was instituted into the law because it is proper, and the Lord does want His house abundantly blessed. He said that. Which is also why if people were given to their gods, that means that you can also give with a heart that is not to the God, to your God. It can be with a heart that gives to the gods. He said, the Lord said, I want my house abundantly blessed. Now, let's put the filter on that. Why? He wants his house abundantly blessed. Why does he want his house abundantly blessed? What do you think the houses of the gods look like? Huge. As uh, wonders of the world. Yeah, as Robert specified in We know that for sure in Ephesus with Diana's temple. What do you think the what do you think the temples to the gods that Solomon built in high places, Ashtoreth and Moloch? What do you think they look like? What do you think the temples of the gods look like in Mesopotamia? They were not shacks. We still have that mentality today. The same cedars that uh, David got uh, from King Hiram. King Hiram used those same cedars to build uh, multiple temples to uh, Melcourt. It's in your Bible. Yeah, which is? Baal. Baal. All in your Bible. Hiram, the Phoenician king. Yep, King King Hiram. When David made the statement, he said he looked around and looked at the Ark of the Covenant. And he made the statement. He was disappointed in himself. And he said, I live in a house of cedars. That was a big deal. That was expensive. That was nice. Plush. He said, in the house, in the ark of the Lord remains behind curtains. He said, I live in a better place. I live in a better place than where the glory of God resides. Which was the real beginning of building a beautiful temple to the Lord. We, same thing's going on now. Let be clear. We man, we like new things, new things being built. We love it. Let let some let somebody grow and build a big church and put some bells and whistles on it. And immediately they'll be condemned for whatever. And the Lord said, I want my house abundantly blessed. But why? Because all the other temples to the other gods were absolutely abundantly blessed in beauty. They were adorned with all type of things, and God made it clear. I'm not taking a back seat to none of that. 
the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai saying, uh, why, say to the people, why do you live in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? It's why you got. Go on, say that again. Say that. Just say that again. <laughs> why, why do you live in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? It's why you got purses and you, all your coins fall out. It's why you eat and you can't get hungry. It's why you drink and you're still thirsty. You, you're you're giving your stuff uh, for your own uh, uh, edification and mm-hmm. you're letting my house. Oh, we just about close it out on that, guys. Thanks Clear. for tuning in. Yeah, huh? Thanks for hearing us today. Thanks, Pastor Robert. I'm just telling you that that is, <laughs> that is fighting tithing and offering and giving or whatever you want to call it. It's fighting a war mm-hmm. that is greater than we just want your money. It's denying and if the that is the depth, heart. if that is the depth of which you see the subject, you're in a very dangerous spot in the whole thing. Because it was a big deal in Scripture, in the pagan world, in, and in the Christian world, or the Jewish world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the seen realm and the unseen realm. Plus, it was a big deal. The church is supposed to be a place that we're proud of. We come together and worship. It's a place of importance in the Bible. Just think about the aspect of back the, uh, of whenever the Bible was being written. Um, it was the it was the central of everything. It was a central. It was central, right? Of everything and like people came together because that was a safe place for them to come and worship. They wanted that to be something impressive and nice, and they can enjoy. So why don't we want that same thing? Why do we want our churches to be in ruin? <laughs> Just well, you may be you may be actually are on to something a lot deeper there, and I don't know if you thought about it is. Maybe it's because church just isn't important to people anymore. That's exactly what I'm getting at, Adrian. Ooh, and that's a whole, that's a whole, that, that's a servanthood mm-hmm. issue. That's exactly what I'm getting at. It's just at. not important anymore. It, it's, it's part of the uh, just-in-case religion mindset. You know, this is a place I just show up to once a week for an hour, hour and a half if uh pastor gets a little bit into it and, you know, just wants to irritate me. And instead of that being a place where I go to worship, a place where that's important to me, a place that has meaning and impact to my life, that has value, I just it, I just see it as a place that I, I uh, ritualistically ritualistically go yeah. to on a week to week basis. And there's nothing, there's no heart in that. There's no heart in the the mindless participation of church it's just a just in case religion your heart is not in it your heart is still corrupted well and those same people will then demand that the church be there and meet their needs when they need them Mm -hmm. now if your heart if (laughs) because i see that's what i see I mean, I, I see that all the time. There are people they don't. It's a hard issue. They don't care. Any, I'm not talking about just money either. I'm talking about attendance or volunteer work, give up your time and talent or anything, and they don't care anything about. It. They're not consistent at all. But when they, all of a sudden, when they're going through some of the darkest stuff or tragedy strikes or something, there's a demand that the church be there for them with all of their resources, both which mon- it monetarily will be. and my, in which it will be if I pastor it. Yeah, but. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to hold that over their head saying, you know, you know, I'm, look, you don't, you ain't come in four months and you don't give and help pay the light bill. We're not going to be here for you. That's garbage on my end. Oh, absolutely. That, that's garbage on any church's end. But that does not change the fact. That does not change the fact of the matter that church was not important to them whatsoever 
uh, and now church is treated, uh, it's there if I need it, yeah. instead of one of the most important places in your life, yeah. as it was in Scripture, which is why which is why we got off on that road, yeah. that road just, anyway. It, it all goes back to just-in-case religion. And at that point, you might as well just be an atheist. And just <laughs> so it's out there, there's a penalty for not— uh, not given the way you're supposed to. Uh, we're talking about reasons why you should and what the Bible says, but the Bible also says uh, it's going to get his. <laughs> uh, you know, God's going to get his. You know, there's there's a penalty uh, if you don't. So, uh, and you don't give to get. Uh, that's why you got to right. give with a cheerful heart. Uh, yeah, that's why. That's, that's why. The, that's that what's a hard issue. That's why that commandment of cheerfulness yeah. was put there. That's what's great about it. But that's that's our society now. It's it's, it's um, transactional. It's reciprocal. What what you do for me is what I want to get back. There's no, and that's why this is all denying the flesh, denying the heart. Right. It, it's all to, and giving. And giving is not about the amount. No. Well, outside the ten percent, yeah. No, it's not even about no no. It's still the ten percent. It's not about the amount. So I, I don't make a lot of money. Well, neither did the lady that gave the two mites while everybody else was given mm, a lot. Yeah. But the, Jesus said she she gave more than everybody else because her was, heart because was her, pure. And her obedience. So I don't care if you're if your tithing check or your offering is ten bucks. Yep. It, well, they won't ever miss it, and I need it. Wait, it's not about the amount. Not to the church, not to the kingdom of God, not to Scripture at all. It's it's about your it's heart, about obedience. It's about heart the heart of the matter. It's not the amount. It. Your heart is there for God. Your heart is the church is important to you. That place is that place has meaning. God has meaning, and you know that you need to feed that. And so you because serve. It cannot just feed it's itself. The, it's not about the amount. And so do you serve. Heaven heaven rejoices just as much as the obedience of the five dollar giver when that's all they you know when that's what they do as it does the five thousand mm-hmm. dollar wealthy person. Heaven rejoices just as much. That's right. And you, and if you don't look at this in terms of spiritual warfare instead of money, which is what we've been influenced to do, you'll never see the real importance. Of this, and get, you get hung up on so many other things other than what you are supposed to be pursuing in the kingdom of God. Well, the greed of money probably feeds all of the sins of the hearts well, so, to some degree. Well, what is the Bible? You know, there's a meme floating around. There's a meme that floats around that just it grinds my gears. All right, you know what makes me so, you know what makes me so angry. <laughs> It says, if money is the root of all evil, why do they ask for it at church? And boy, that makes me so stinking mad, I could bite nails in two. Because that scripture does not say that money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. That scripture says it is the love of money. I prefer lust. The lust. It's the same thing. Yeah. Is the root of... The lust of money is the root of all evil. It does not say money is the root of all evil. So if you're out there and you always say money's the root of all evil, you are quoting that scripture mm-hmm. out of context, completely yeah. wrong, and you have built your position on this subject on a on a foundation of sand. And this church ain't asking for the uh, money to start with. God is 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 telling you. Uh, what to do, yeah, and the, then giving you a, 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 a opportunity to test him. Mm-hmm. Let me see your heart. So there is a there is a command in Scripture in both Testaments, an expectation of it, of, like you just said it, Robert, not the church. 
church is just preaching if you know it's just the law preaching what scripture is and what they've done in scripture just like we do like again i don't get up and i don't i don't get up and talk about this subject ever but if i did i got much just as much right to get up and talk about money as long as i stay within the bibles and my heart's pure because mm-hmm. i got just as much right to serve. get up and talk about that as i do the morals as we do addictions jesus died on the cross it's all it's all the in in the bible the and, they bible ga- is the, the and bible. money was present at the cross because they gambled hmm? they drew lots for the for the for the garment money's at the cross it's a big subject a subject we need to be educated on a subject we need to quit being scared of a subject that uh, i'm not scared of no devil on this I've had all kind of accusations. We got ridiculous. daylight on the devil now. I had I had somebody. I want to say it. I had somebody when COVID hit and everybody quit. Everybody shut their churches down. I didn't shut the church down, and we did go out in the parking lot. Um, I had somebody say the reason I didn't shut it down and gathered in the parking lot because I didn't I didn't I, I didn't want to stop the flow of money. Well, first of all, I don't know what they're talking about the flow. And two, uh, I don't even know really. How to respond to that? That's ridiculous. I was trying to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and I will never believe that assembling on social media is assembling. Never, you'll never convince me of that. I don't care because you take away the doctrine of laying on of hands and you gonna baptize somebody on Facebook. You gonna lay hands on somebody on Facebook? Come on, give me a break. I was just going. I was just trying to make sure that we adhered. The Bible did not say forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Unless COVID happens. Unless there is some type of an emergency. That's not what that scripture says. I was fulfilling the mandates of scripture. And, you know, somebody brings that up, which is, you know, whatever. And it's not a big deal to me. I'm just saying people lose their mind on this subject. Lose their souls. Eventually they will if they're not careful. Mm -hmm. They will lose their soul on it. Greed and pride. So, you know, the command... And we could start the descent here to land the plane. Thank you for hanging in there with us this thus far. Uh, if you've hung in there with us, the command is to give. Cheerfully. And ultimately speaking, this is going to come down to who do you serve? And so just like everything else in the Old and New Testament, when that command is given, it was the rest of the members. There's no other churches, no other denominations, none of that. There was just there was just ones that followed the one true God, and the pagans that were against them. Oftentimes, they was at war and there was persecution. God is saying the same thing to His people as the gods were saying to their people. That's why He asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because everybody else is sacrificing their children to Moloch. He just wants to know who do you serve. It, will you do for your God mm-hmm. what everybody else does for their God? And you, and what happens there? Now, you can is say, the child sacrificed in that moment? No, because no. he would not require that. Because God does but not he require. He did want to know if Abraham served him enough exactly. to do it. Exactly. That is the same and then thing. He sent Jesus to die for us. We get all kind of. I can preach it at the church, Ooh, and people are like, "Yeah." But if I use, you know, Moloch, don't kill your kids. Yeah, Abraham. But if I do the same thing. With money, people will sit there all tight, and it's the same exact concept. So they'll take it, and they'll serve their gods 
with all of their hobbies and all the things that they want to do and throw that $1 bill over in the offering plate while they go serve everything else, their own desires, whatever. Not uh, knowing that money ends up. Go. And then that, the question has to be asked. If I can preach it and you like it when I'm talking about morals, then why, why do you get upset when I'm talking about money? But it's the same form of servanthood. What you got, Robert? I see you digging. I just want to read a quote by Michael Rhodes. Idolatry is an economic issue. When we read about the Israelites worshiping the God Baal in 1 Kings 18, we tend to think of them developing a preference for wooden idol images. But the primary attraction to Baal wasn't a pretty statue. It was an economic promise. For the nations around Israel, Baal was the rider of the clouds who brought mm-hmm. the rains and blessed the earth. God of fertility. When Baal showed up, the heavens rained all the rivers ran honey. Mothers gave birth to healthy children, and even the dead could be raised. Little wonder then that when King Ahab chose to marry a woman from Baal territory, the farmers in Israel built a house for this new God and welcomed him into their neighborhood. See King 1631 for the, for the rest of that. But idolatry is a an economic issue mm-hmm. exactly so we asked the question they feared Baal. they feared the gods who does your money serve don't even sit there listening to us and act like we talking about you giving all your money to the church or whatever church you go to because if that's what you're hearing you have a filter of the darkness on your ears and mind Probably. because even that bible says that it is it's biblical for you to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren. Your children. And there children. is no way that God is going to expect you to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren mm-hmm. if you gave all of your money to the temple. Yep. Now, we know good and well that's not what that's talking about. And if that's what you're hearing, and I don't want to get preachy, but if that's what you're hearing, then you, you really better figure out who you serve because – Listen, and I'll, I'll land the plane like this. I don't know if there's any other way we can hash this out. Y'all can you know, take it and give some last comments. Your money's going to serve something. Every time. Your money serves something. You're going to serve something. And you if can. your heart's not in the right place, you will serve something outside of the will oh, of it's God. Oh, it's going to serve something. And so that question is, we could probably and probably will end every show with the same question. But before I ask it, Brother Robert, do you have any closing questions, queries, comments, complaints, or concerns? Just one comment, and it's this. Our deep desire is for the people that listen to wind up at the feet of Jesus. And Mm. if you've listened to this today and thought it was not for you, if you thought it was anything other than biblical or for your well-being, then my question to you is, Do you serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above every name, Jesus? Jesus. Scott? Scott? Choose you this day. So the question is, who do you serve? Not what you believe. For even the devil, you, oh, James writes and says, oh, you believe in one God? Good. Even the devil believes and trembles. The Bible does not ask what you believe. Some of y'all believe and don't tremble. 
man, for real, how does that, what in the world's up with that? Even the devil moves a little bit in his belief. We can't just, we Just in case religion. We, we'll, 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 we will flesh that out at another time. I promise you, I am not going to forget that one. I got to. I got to work a sermon up on that particular position. Uh, the Bible is not asking what we believe; it's asking who do we serve, and that includes the subject today. We are finished. The torture is over. If you hung in there, we do love you dearly. Mm-hmm. But we've got to cover it all, and if it's in the Bible, we must cover it. We must cover some of these things that are vitally important. So we love you guys. And uh, we hope you have a great week. And uh, if you have any questions, contact us. Surely if you've listened to some of the other ones now, you know how to get in contact with us. And uh, There'll be an outro, an we, intro. We pray that the light of the king, the king of all kings, would shine on your face daily. Who Amen. do you serve? I love you. God bless. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Godfilter Podcast. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash the Godfilter to discuss this episode, or you can reach out to us directly via email at admin at thegodfilter.com. We hope you found deeper understanding of the spiritual warfare that we all engage in to help you find deliverance through Jesus. God bless.